Live from Naples, this is the Morning Break with Jane Ritter. Morning everyone from a very tropical Naples. I'm not sure how the weather is with you, but here it's hot and wet. How do you help your learners become better readers? We'll be discussing this and other things this morning on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm joined by Sandy Millen. Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So before I, I get started, I'm going to apologize because you can probably hear some little pups squealing in the background. Yes, I currently have six dogs. <laughs> well, my pup, I have two dogs normally, but my pups just had, my little pup has just had four puppies. So I'm at six dogs at the moment and they are distracting me somewhat. So as I said, um, how do you help learners become better readers and what makes a successful reader? We'll be talking about this and other aspects of teacher training this, this morning with Sandy Millen. Um, we'll be looking at what successful readers do and how we can better support our learners. Sandy has a wide ranging experience as a teacher trainer, a CELTA trainer, a soul tutor and working with teachers from around the world on many different projects through many different platforms. She's really passionate about CPD and has some really strong views about how we need to provide better training for newly trained teachers, particularly when we're teaching skills such as reading. Sandy is an IATEFL ambassador. She runs her own Delta Module 1 and Module 3 courses and offers consultancies, bespoke workshops and training courses. She writes materials for methodology courses and English for teachers and volunteers. She's also a volunteer um, on the IATEFL Materials Writing Special Interest Group MORSIG Committee. So without further ado, um, before the rain hits us, um, let's talk to Sandy. Good morning, Sandy. Lovely to have you here with me. Good Thanks. morning, Jane. How are you doing? Really well. How are things with you there? All good, thank you. Okay. Um, Sandy, you do a lot of things. You have a lot of professional hats. Um, for our listeners, could you just tell us briefly about your career and where you are now? <laughs> so, um, right now I'm based in Reading, just outside London, and I'm a freelance teacher trainer and editor, I'm mostly working on my own Delta courses and CELTA courses. Um, and I also do a little bit of methodology writing, and I'm a blogger. And I got to this stage by uh, basically I have 
always been into languages and I knew I wanted to travel. So I, on my gap year, I went to Borneo and I did some volunteering as a teacher and I absolutely loved it. I had a little kind of one week teacher training course. So it was a mini salsa. And then I, in my third year of university, when I was studying languages, I spent a year abroad and I worked in a private language school for that year. And so in my final year of university, I did my CELTA course. And two days after I graduated, I started teaching. And <laughs> basically that's all I've done since. So, How many languages do you speak? Um, depends on your value of speak, but um, I have three languages to C1 level, another language to B2 level, and a couple of others that I'm receptive in, so like A2 level. Mm -hmm. And I've probably tried to learn about six or seven others at various points, but more in the, I wonder what this language is like, and I wonder whether this app is good for a brand new language learner <laughs> rather than I'm actually mm -hmm. intending to use these languages. I just, I just find the structure of other languages to be fascinating, so yeah. Incredible. And you've lived in quite a few countries. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. Journey. Yeah, so my, my first teaching job that I just mentioned there, um, I worked at summer school and then I was also working in the Czech Republic in Brno. Um, so I worked there for three years um, and then uh, worked back in the UK. So that was a very different thing, working in a kind of a uh, school where, te where learners were living in the UK and studying with me every day. Um, and then I lived in Crimea for a year and that's when I trained to be a CELTA trainer. That's when I was a director of studies for the first time. And then I had what I call my crazy year of CELTA. I did CELTA courses all over the world in seven, six, seven different countries, can't remember. And then I worked in Poland for six years as a director of studies. Um, but I was also doing CELTA courses uh, in the summers in different countries. And then I moved back to the UK. So yeah, I've lived in lots of different places and I, I never thought I would come back to the UK, but here I am, I'm probably not going anywhere now, so. No. You're not gonna. You're not gonna get the travel bug again. Well, no, I've still got the travel bug, but I have a fiance now, so I'm probably <laughs> not going anywhere. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite country? Was there any place? Um, so that's a. It's an odd thing to answer because every country that I've been to, I've definitely like learned things and got things from them. But the country that I always go back to, the place that I always go back to. But this is probably for the people more than the country itself is I always go back to Brno when I first started teaching mm -hmm. and I go to Brno pretty much once a year to see all of my friends there um, and I always felt really comfortable in Central Europe generally like mm -hmm. um, I, German is one of my languages as well Germany Poland Czech Republic I've always felt really comfortable in those countries um, and yeah um, that's where I've done a lot of my working life has been in Central Europe. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Oh, we 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 met up on a um um on thinking about reading and talking about reading, and um we were just talking before before we started actually about teaching reading or being taught to teach reading. Um, and you have a really really interesting take on this <laughs> I've seen you in a in a webinar and um it, it was wonderful and Thank um you. I thought that maybe it would be good for you to share some of this knowledge that you have so I suppose I'll start with the first question which is sort of what do successful readers do 
Yeah, so we were talking um, we were talking about teacher training and the fact that actually we're not really taught to teach reading, mm. or if we are taught to teach reading, then it's very much uh, um, it's a testing approach. So we we do some kind of lead in, we ask some comprehension questions, maybe we discuss the text afterwards, and then probably we're going to use the text uh, linguistically. We're probably going to study some of the vocabulary, study some of the grammar. But uh, actually, in order to be a successful reader, we don't answer comprehension questions when we're reading things in our own language. Mm. We don't have any kind of lead in and we don't go away afterwards and study the vocabulary. So actually, the, what we're doing as successful readers in our own language is we are uh, looking at the context within which the uh, we're reading the text so for example we know if we're reading a website we know if we're reading a book we know if we're reading a news article for example because we've seen the wider context that mm -hmm. it's in we know why we're reading that text we might be reading it for enjoyment we might be reading it to get a specific piece of information for example if we read a research article we know that we're in most cases we're reading the research article because we're trying to find out what the conclusions are whether the mm -hmm. research can be applied to what we're doing in our career or in our studies whatever it is so we have a clear reason for reading if we're going to do it successfully um, those things are um, a little bit connected to some of the activities that people do in the classroom but then i think that the other things that successful readers do that we don't necessarily explicitly do with our students or explicitly talk to our students um, successful readers make predictions the whole time that they're reading and mm. they test their understanding of what they've read against those predictions. So the simplest case um, to, to help people to understand this is when you're reading a news article, you look at the heading and you ask yourself some questions. If you go on to read the article more, you'll look at the heading and go, OK, who is that person? Why did they do that thing? But we won't just ask ourselves those questions. We'll probably come up with some hypothesis. Oh, I think this is who they are. I think this is what they did. And as you read the text, you'll go, oh, that prediction is correct. OK, that's right. I was correct. Ah, but that one wasn't. I wasn't correct. So all the way through, we're testing our understanding of what we're reading. And we do it in our own language. We do it implicitly. We're not aware of that process. But when we do it, uh, when we read a challenging text or when we read a text in a foreign language, that becomes much harder because we don't necessarily make correct predictions or make predictions that are logical. And mm -hmm. therefore, it's difficult for us to test them. We don't make predictions at all because we can't understand enough of the text to make those predictions. So that's, um, that's something else then successful readers do. Um, the next one, and this is one that, uh, Anybody who's learned English as a first language, we've probably spent a lot of time thinking about this. But when we teach it as a second language, we don't necessarily. And this is the sound spelling relationships mm. that there are within English particularly. But we do it in any language that is that has any kind of phonetic spelling. So, um, for example, Czech learners of Czech, um, they have to understand the sound spelling relationships that they're reading. Um, it's not quite the same in a language that has characters like Mandarin, for example, there isn't the sound spelling relationship, but there is still a sound character relationship. You're still looking at the character and saying the sound in your head in some way. So successful readers are fluent at translating the sounds into spellings and the spellings into sounds. 
um, if we're if we're the, the faster we read, the the faster we're doing that process, um, and th that's something that we don't necessarily teach explicitly in the English classroom. We get frustrated when our learners can't do it, but we don't necessarily have any systematic training of them to help them to get better at those sound spellings. And what would you suggest? <laughs> well, so um. Something, uh, something that I, uh, the one learner that I worked with did, um, there are some pages at the back of the English file books, and they take uh, each of the phonemes of English, mm -hmm. and they say what the typical sound spelling relationships are for them. Um, so for example, they'll take the phoneme E, and they'll say that this is typically spelled E-E -E or E-A, for example. And they'll also um, give some of the less typical, um, some of the exceptions, but the common exceptions. Um, and I can't think of one for that phoneme right now. Um, but uh, one of my learners independently took that list and went away and learnt it. So we could do that with our learners. We could have kind of a phoneme of the week, uh, which I know some teachers do anyway, but couple that with the typical spellings that go with it, for example, particularly ones that are problematic for, for speakers of a particular language. Mm. So, you know, anecdotally, we know that E is challenging, for example, for speakers of Itali Italian learners. Of yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> So you can prioritize that one, prioritize <laughs> yeah. the ones that give those challenging sound spelling relationships and, and doing it systematically. This is also where reading aloud actually does have a place in the classroom, um, but not necessarily in the way that some teachers do it of read the instructions aloud, for example, read the questions aloud. That's not a useful way of building up sound spelling relationships. But having some short phrases, for example, that people are reading chorally and encouraging the students to notice differences between sound and spellings, that can be really useful. Or, for example, people may have seen pronunciation poems where you have these, you know, these crazy ones, for example, about all the different spellings of all the different pronunciations of so getting learners to to read aloud a poem like that to practice reading a poem like that mm. so that they're practicing those sound spelling relationships that can be super useful i think um and and focusing on the sound spelling relationships that are most problematic for the learners with that background with mm. that language so um for example polish learners um, they struggle, or, or a lot of Slavic speakers struggle with sounds like a and a, um, and they can't necessarily differentiate between those phonemes. This is where mm. your pronunciation teaching comes in. And so then showing them how those phonemes uh, equate to particular spellings is super useful. And I think this is where we need to remember that pronunciation teaching isn't just about speaking, or increasingly people understand that it's about listening it's also about reading and writing as well definitely yeah and, and, you know tying all of that together i think um and then the other two things that i think successful readers do they know what to do when they encounter unknown language which might just be to ignore it they, mm. they're able to ignore it they're able to move on or they're able, they've got dictionary skills, they've maybe got translator skills, like understanding how to use a tool like Google Translate mm -hmm. in an effective, time efficient way, for example, 
or understanding how to ask somebody a question. What does this word mean? I mean, if I don't, if I'm sitting in a room with a friend and I'm reading something and I don't know a word, I don't go away and look at it in a dictionary if I know that it's key to the text. I just say to my friend, what does this mean? Yeah. You know, so knowing knowing different strategies to deal with unknown language. And then um, the last thing that we can teach learners how to do is help learners to be aware of good reading strategies. So knowing how they read best. Is that on a screen? Is it on paper? Is it with particular background colours if they're reading on a screen? Mm. Uh, is it with particular font colours, font sizes, font styles? Um, is it do they read best in the morning in the evening do they read best when they've got a cup of coffee in their hand like how do they read best and how can they uh, like we learn that in our own language we know for example uh, you know some people will say you know I read if I want to read a book the best time for me to do that is lying in bed just before I go to sleep for example so make those strategies explicit and then all of those things will make readers more confident which will help them to want to read more but we can also encourage learners to read more and discuss all of those things and and it becomes a virtuous circle christine nuttall calls it a virtuous circle um, in her book teaching reading skills in a foreign language i think is super useful if you want to uh, if you want to get better at teaching reading <laughs> definitely I just, yeah, I mean, you you also talk about what can go wrong. Um, so we have successful readers and we also have things that can go wrong. Um, it is, it is. I mean, the statistics are there and we can see in sort of Cambridge exams and things like that, that the, the reading level is dropping. Mm -hmm. I know that my children don't read anything like what I used to read. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I think, it's not maybe that then they're not they're not devouring books but they're doing other things and I know that there are they they can read yes <laughs> yeah it's different yeah exactly exactly I think and I think this is so you know I'm I'm probably one of this this shows my age a little bit but I'm probably one of the last people that grew up just before the internet was a thing for everybody. The internet came in when I was in secondary school. So I spent my childhood devouring books, as you say. I, um, I, didn't, I didn't have internet until I finished university. So that I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> but, it, but this is, um, but so my friend's child uh, who is eight, she also devoured books. So mm. some children are still doing it. They're still doing all of that reading. But this comes back to this virtual circle of reading more. So a lot of um, a lot of people are still reading a lot, but they're reading in a very bitty way. And actually, some people read more now than they would have done without social media, without the internet. Um, because they wouldn't necessarily have read books before. There were always people who read books and people who didn't, people who read newspapers and people who didn't. And I was always a book reader. I was never interested in articles, newspapers, that kind of thing. Um, but the um, this is the thing about knowing how you read best. I read fiction absurdly quickly because that is what I read. Mm. If you ask me to read a research article, I plough through it slowly. Like it is, not, <laughs> it is not an easy process because I, I haven't built up those skills of how to approach reading 
reading a research article mm. and I find it, it like with my own reading I find it challenging to read anything without reading everything that makes sense yes because I'm so I know that I'm a fast reader and I'm I'm an addictive reader and so if I'm sitting down and I have nothing to occupy my attention I will be reading everything that is around me and so when I have to approach reading in a different way, for example, for my dissertation, I, I find it really hard to, to read in a way that is useful for my dissertation in an academic way, you know, using conclusion of a chapter to work out which parts to read and, you know, this kind of thing. I'm aware of some of the strategies, but I can't apply them quickly. But it's partly because I haven't explicitly been taught those strategies. Mm. And this is, it, it all loops back to however people are reading, it loops back to we need to teach people how to read effectively not just how to get the letters on the page into their brain as words there's so much more to reading beyond that as there is with any skill mm. you know if we're teaching speaking it's not just getting words out of their mouths it's turn taking it's understanding how to order your ideas it's understanding how to engage the learner's attention the same with listening it's not just getting words out of the air into our brains it's it's all these strategies beginning with unknown language for breaking down the sounds into words for understanding connected speech there's so many things that we can teach and i think in teacher training certainly until you get to a diploma level um a delta a, a diptesol a master's level and even then not always mm. we're not thinking about how to break down these skills into subskills. we're constantly testing our learners without teaching them how to do things in a more effective way part of the reason that that's happening is because we're not being taught how to, how to. <laughs> we're not getting the professional development we're just like well some people are good listeners some people are bad listeners great what are we going to do about it <laughs> <laughs> okay. and that's that's not I think until if, until I got to my delta level and i Really, for me, the, the book that completely changed how I thought about skills teaching was Listening in the Language Classroom by John Fields. And I think that's true of a lot of people. You read that book and then you go, oh, there's another way to teach listening. And I'm still not always great at it. But the materials, the course books, they're starting to come through with more of a strategy-based instruction, breaking things down into subskills. But there's still quite a long way to go, I think. Absolutely. I'm just going to pause you one second um, and we will quickly go for a break, um, but we will be right back and continuing fascinating conversation with Sandy. <laughs> okay. okay. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. 
Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC reports that one in three primary schools has no male teachers. The study by the Warwick Business School says the proportion of schools without a male classroom teacher has increased in the last 12 months. The report's author, Dr Joshua Fullard, said this lack of male teachers was bad for pupils. Dr Fullard is Assistant Professor of Behavioural Science at Warwick Business School. He went on to say that there is a large body of research that shows students benefit from being educated by a teacher with certain similarities to them. The report also found that schools in special measures are less likely to have a male classroom teacher. In total, the report found that 24.3% of all state schools in England had no male classroom teachers. The report called for teachers' pay to be raised by more than 10% and for a merit-based reduction in tuition fees for university-led teacher training to be introduced. Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy for Askell Union, said more needed to be done to attract men and women alike, and a spokesperson for the DfE said the department wanted the profession to be inclusive. North East Child Poverty Commission website reports that new figures published by the DfE confirm that more than three in ten pupils across the North East are now registered for free school meals. This is an increase from January 2022. It remains the highest proportion of any part of England. The figure of 30.4% is compared with 18.8% of pupils in the South East and 19.4% in the East of England. The England-wide rate is 23.8%. All regions have seen a significant increase in the number and share of children eligible for free school meals over the last seven years. The Guardian reports children's enjoyment of writing has fallen to crisis point following research completed by the National Literacy Trust. The charity says an alarmingly low level of children and young people enjoy writing. The research was conducted across the UK. 34.6% of young people aged 8 to 18 said that they enjoy writing in their free time. Although three in four children starting school said that they enjoyed writing, this dropped to one in four by the age of 16. The Children's and Young People's Writing Report is drawn from over 70,000 responses from children to the charity's annual literacy survey. The number of children who say they enjoy writing in their free time has dropped by 12.2% in the 13 years since the survey began. Young people do report that they write to improve mental health and well-being and to support causes or issues they care about. Full details can be found on the National Literacy Trust website. 
Finally, Microsoft News reports that Taiwan has made the move to use Generative Artificial Intelligence, or AI, to help students learn English. Teachers in the country often report that students read and write better than they speak English, as shyness and a lack of practice can hinder oral communication. A new chatbot has been funded by Taiwan's Ministry of Education to help pupils get the practice they need. The Cooley bot allows pupils to speak person to AI and build up conversation on preset topics. It also assesses punctuation, accuracy and fluency. Taiwan has set a goal of becoming bilingual in Chinese and English by 2030. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to ask you a question. Do you use presentation software to help you deliver your lessons? 99% of you will be saying yes at this point. Have you ever considered how many presentations the average pupil in your school sees in a day, in a week, or even in their entire school life? Consider in a typical secondary education, with a bit of rough maths, over a week with five lessons a day, there's potential to see 25 presentations. That's 100 presentations in just four weeks. I've left out any additional presentations like assemblies and visitors, etc. Working on a 38-week year, that's a whopping 950 presentations a year. That's a lot of presentations. Now, let's throw in some schools have a standardised slide theme and set layouts. Now we have 950 exactly the same lesson beginnings. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but do we really know what experience a pupil gets through a typical week in school? Are they being engaged or are they being presented with the same visual stimulus day in, day out, simply causing them to fly below the radar. If you're like me, you're now thinking, how do I make my presentation stand out? Is there a presentation software out there that's better than all the rest? In my humble opinion, this is like the visualizer versus HD webcam argument. What works for some does not work for others because all subjects are not the same, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but please bear in mind that what works for one teacher may not work for another. A search for free presentation software returns no less than 24 apps I recognise. Some are interactive like Mentimeter, others have more dynamic transitions like Prezi. Most also have additional features and add-ons you can purchase. I know what you're saying, come on Steve, which is the best though? Well the answer is simple, but I've run out of time, so I'll have to tell you next week. In the meantime, please consider the number of presentations a typical pupil is subjected to in your school. Does this need to change, or does it work? And how do you know? Do you have a preferred presentation software and what are the features that make it stand out for you? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, <laughs> so welcome back, Sandy. Sorry, we were, we were talking about reading um and you've made some wonderful suggestions to help teachers prepare their learners better um and some some great tips of things to read what could we what could we change in initial teacher training do you think yeah so um i'm a self trainer at the moment and so that's one of the things that i'm thinking about a little bit is how what do we actually tell teachers about teaching skills mm. so 
there is always the constraint that probably you've only got one 90 minute session to teach them how to teach a skill um, or teach them how to teach reading or listening, for example. And these are teachers who have absolutely no prior uh, experience, experience of teaching yeah. or learning languages for some of them. You know, some of them have had experience, but, but the course is designed for people who don't. So you have to start from ground zero of zero knowledge at all. So you need to give them some kind of framework that they can use in lessons. So I understand why it is we give them this pre-teaching vocabulary, um, you know, reading for gist, reading for specific information, reading for detail, follow-up tasks. But um, what I've started doing with my uh, CELTA course uh, since, since I did this reading research for this webinar about three months ago, um, we've started talking about where, where do learners need the vocabulary? Mm. So not just automatically pre-teaching vocabulary, but when do they need that vocabulary and why? Um, we've started to uh, have stages or introduce stages where the teachers are thinking about or encouraging the learners to reflect on um, when their reading has gone wrong and mm. why that might be. So rather than changing the stages that I'm giving the teachers, um, what I'm trying to do is encouraging them to problematize the lesson a little bit more and to notice where, to notice why those activities do or don't work or help mm. learners or don't help learners and encouraging them to think more carefully about where the answers are in the text, what problems there might be. I don't think that that is necessarily going to solve all of the problems. No, but no. I think it gets the, these pre-service teachers, these brand new teachers after a 75 to 90 minute single input session, <laughs> maybe a little bit of feedback on the reading lessons. You know? Yeah they do teach a reading lesson feeding that back in a little bit more and um, helping them to to shift from this testing mindset to a teaching mindset um, and helping them to think about how that connects up also to reading in the real world because I think a lot of what we're doing is divorced from what the learners actually need to do in the real world so when they're coming up with tasks for example um encouraging them to think about why would the learner actually read a text like this in mm. real life they're not reading it to answer true or false questions or no they're not I mean yeah and it's also thinking else about the prediction prediction yeah. questions and also um as they're moving through the text perhaps further prediction would yeah, make exactly. more sense than a true false I know exactly. that they... and encouraging them encouraging the teachers to think about how would they use a text like this in their own lives? So, you know, if you've got if you've got a news article, what do you do with a news article? You either don't do anything with it, or you decide to read more about that topic, or you go and tell somebody, oh, there was this news article that I read. This is what I read about. Or maybe you share it on social media. Mm. Okay, so those are my follow-up tasks. How would you share this on social media? What would you tell somebody else about it? Making yeah. it more realistic rather than, um, you know, 
we've just read about this topic. Let's ignore the fact that it was a reading. It could have been a listening. It could have been a conversation. And let's just ask you two more questions about the topic. Mm. Okay, great. But that's not training the learners to do something that they then need to do outside the classroom. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um and then and then i think just helping teachers once they are in you know or if they have if they're working on a longer pre-service course you know they've got a, a degree course even in teaching and um, helping them to understand what we mean by sub skills and um helping them to then break down reading into sub skills beyond just reading for gist reading mm. for information reading for detail which also are confusing terms a lot of people get mixed up between just specific information detail and they just go well they're reading for comprehension okay but then then we're testing their reading <laughs> what are we teaching them what are we helping them to get better at to be better more successful readers wow you do quite a lot of work with uh with teachers and um and teacher trainers mm -hmm. Do you like to tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Yeah, so um, I've already mentioned that I'm a CELTA trainer. I'm also um, a DELTA trainer and a DITSESOL trainer. So I'm working with diploma level teachers who are just uh, people who don't know about DELTA, DITSESOL. That's kind of master's level qualification, but a much like a third of a master's. Mm. Um, and But I also do um, a lot of uh, webinars, I do workshops, I do observations, um, like lots of different support for what's going on in the classroom in lots of different ways, I think. Um, yeah. And really, all of that boils down to teaching teachers to look at their teaching and to reflect on what they're doing and then to be able to notice the gaps in their knowledge or mm. notice their strengths as well appreciate their strengths and be able to build on their strengths and plug some of the gaps in their knowledge really and it doesn't matter what level you know I, I'm doing that all the time with my own knowledge as well what what don't I know how can mm. I plug those gaps what do I know how can I support other people with with the knowledge that I've been able to build up yeah. and you still manage to teach as well no um, no <laughs> Um, but um, so I haven't taught for two years because of moving back to the UK and because of doing my dissertation. Once mm -hmm. my dissertation is done in October, um, then hopefully I'm going to get at least some teaching back into my timetable, at least one lesson a week. Because mm -hmm. two reasons. One, because there's a lot of things that I would like to try out. And two, because I think as a teacher trainer and if you're writing about teaching, you need to be doing it. You need it. to be it. Yeah. You need, otherwise, otherwise, you're talking about ideas that you've never used yourself or you're talking about ideas that you last used yourself, you know, 5, 10, 15, 30 <laughs> years ago. And I need to be in the classroom teaching. I still, I've also kind of stopped my language learning as well. I was doing that a lot, like being in the students shoes as well mm. um, and so yeah the the a lot of the things that I do as a teacher are because of my own language learning as well and understanding what how different techniques work and what's what's been effective for me what's not been effective for me um that's also really influenced my my teaching as well wow um so 
who are the the people who inspire and influence you make you so motivated <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so um probably within my family and where I've got a lot of this kind of desire for learning from um I've always I've always had really strong role models around me in terms of constant learning so um probably the person I'm most similar to is my granddad um and he was uh he was in the merchant navy originally and he then became a marine safety expert and he used to travel around the world to conferences communicating his ideas um, <laughs> and being you know being a lecturer and and all of this kind of thing and he um you know he he died 10 years ago and he was still from the hospital he was still working on projects <laughs> like, when I come out of hospital I'll be doing this presentation and I'll you know and he wow. was on Facebook and he was giving PowerPoint presentations and he was working with cutting-edge technology so that kind of desire to learn like he constantly wanted to learn he did a master's when he was in his 40s and you know and he he only didn't do a PhD because I think my grandma would have shot him you <laughs> 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 need to spend some time with us as well um so you know that kind of uh desire to learn and desire to share knowledge as well like I really I really enjoy the teaching side of things I think was really from my granddad but also lots of other role models within my family as well so yeah wonderful wonderful um can you share a, a either a personal or life goal with our listeners oh that is a challenging one um <laughs> I, it's partly a challenging one because I kind of this sounds a little bit uh, cocky but I kind of feel like I've done all of the things that I wanted to do when I started teaching mm. so actually in in about 2010 I think I wrote down my kind of short medium and long-term goals and I've actually achieved all of those except for one long-term goal which was to own a language school and there's no way I want to own a language school <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think growing my own business, like I, I became freelance two years ago, I launched my Take Your Time Delta courses, and those are growing really nicely. Wonderful. And I think, I think then, I think my goal is to keep growing those, but also... A bit take, oh, Take Your Time Delta is such a fantastic idea. It, <laughs> you know that. I wish, I wish when I did my Delta, there was that option. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm really enjoying doing it. And, and I think just one of the reasons that I wanted to set up that course and one of the reasons that I like working with people on that is just making making these things that are challenging and, and in many cases quite traumatic. People get incredibly stressed on mm. courses, mm. for example. And I, I certainly, I was, when I was doing my own Delta, I was, I was getting very stressed I was getting very tired I triggered an illness that I've got for the rest of my life um you know I it had a massive impact on my health I was off work with exhaustion for a long time and I don't think it needs to be like that I it would think be so much more enjoyable if it, it if it 
was I, mean, I remember doing things like you know taking money out of a cash machine mm-hmm. and just walking away and leaving the money in the machine because I was oh, just so tired oh, um, no. and then the last like the last day of the um the intensive part I had tonsillitis I was ill yeah. and it yeah, was because exactly. I was so stressed so. and I think I think that's it so I think I think one of my goals is just generally trying to support teachers to allow them to be humans as well and I think that's something you know you asked about people who are inspiring influencing me I think people like Sarah Mercer mm. with her plenary that she did a few years ago at IATEFL uh, people like Rachel Roberts with her ELT freelancers collective mm. and all the work she's doing with Earn Learn Thrive yeah. I think these are the people who are trying to both of them and what I'm trying to do as well is is to try and support people to do to teach in the way that works for them but while also being able to make it financially viable it Mm. is a business you've got to be able to live from it but then you've got to have those working conditions you've got to have um, you've got to be able to earn enough to support yourself to support your family and I think I think over time, ELT is shifting. It's a slow shift, but there's going to be a shift Mm. and we need to keep pushing to make sure that uh, every teacher is able to be the best teacher that they can be, to get the professional development, to get the mental health support, to get the training Mm. and and to have the space to reflect on their teaching to have not have to work three jobs to be able to feed their families not have to teach 30 to 35 to 40 to some people teaching 50 hours a week to be able to you know to be able to feed themselves that's not correct we shouldn't be doing that and so we've got to keep pushing we've got to keep pushing things like discrimination for for people who learn English because I happen to be born in the UK that's not fair that I therefore get yeah benefits and so yeah so I don't think I have a life goal but I think generally it's building up the profession so that it is a profession that is human and supportive and and people are enthusiastic about it they want Mm. to come into it they they're not leaving it because it's not right or it's not viable to be an ELT teacher for example and that's definitely something that's been happening over the last few years particularly. How much do you think their influences with online teaching? Um, I think that online teaching is a double-edged sword because I think that it's giving um, it's giving a lot of teachers the opportunity to work for themselves to set their own hours to work uh, when they want to work Mm who uh, set their own prices. But in order to be able to do that successfully, they need to have the business skills to market themselves. And that means that a lot of people are then going to platforms and platforms, I don't know, I don't have firsthand experience of them, but from the people I know who've worked for platforms, the pay isn't necessarily great. 
there isn't no. necessarily any CPD and then it becomes a race to the bottom because we're training students or potential students the same in language schools as well we're training potential students that what they should be looking for is the cheapest not the quality and we're not sending out we're not sending out a message as an industry that in order to learn a language, because it's not just English, it's any language. Yeah. In order to learn a language, you need to have time, you need to have commitment, you need to have support. And the great thing about language learning apps now is that more people are learning languages, but then they're learning languages with apps that are reinforcing grammar translation, for example, <laughs> that are reinforcing learning set sentences that there are some really good apps out there, but yeah. people don't know about them because they don't have the money or the marketing behind them. And then, so this all becomes this, again, coming back to the profession, what is our profession? What messages are we sending to the world? Not looking beyond the profession about what it means to be an English language teacher, about what kind of respect they deserve, about what kind of pay they deserve, about what kind of conditions they deserve. And that's online and offline. Mm. yeah it's it's yeah I'm, I'm totally with you I'm a um a fan of you your work of, <laughs> of French schools and um yeah no it's um it's something to watch and I mean I've sort of from even in my in my small reality you know I was with the British Council for about 25 years and then things have completely changed and mm -hmm. they don't initially they don't even have full-time teachers anymore they're just yeah. when I started I never imagined that that it would change I thought you know this is yeah it's always good it's, it will and it, um I think things just well and I think that's another thing that we need to be training for we need to mm. be training for resilience we need to be yeah. training for an ability to this is why reflection and professional development are so important because we've got the way that the world is not mm. just ELT but the world is things are changing so fast so we've got to be training teachers to be able to manage the changes and to be able to understand how their own working patterns might need to change mm. to be able to be flexible um, in terms of being able to deal with different kind of teaching situations and this is where the pandemic you know the pandemic forced us to change and that's yeah. going to that's going to have a lasting permanent impact on the profession mm. but in both good and bad ways yeah because a lot of teachers have left the profession because of the pandemic because they lost their work because they they didn't have any job security they didn't have support it was incredibly stressful they were expected to continue teaching without any training um, and the but on the flip side it has opened up online learning to students students are much more willing to learn online now mm. experience that it's opened up new markets it's opened up like my take your time delta for example i can't imagine that if i tried to sell that five years ago mm. that i would have the take up that i do mm. now because who would sit for 90 minutes on zoom every week five years <laughs> without even thinking about it mm. you know? and and that it's it's opened up you know those kind of courses did exist before but a lot fewer people were willing to do them whereas yeah. now we've had experience of this online 
life and people are therefore more willing to to do that kind of course for example so it, you know everything is a double-edged sword it is <laughs> it is indeed um tell us something tell us a fun a fun fact about you that most people don't know um probably that I well we've already talked about languages although I think quite a few people know that that I'm <laughs> addicted to languages um probably that I read about 50 to 60 books a year because I read voraciously wow. and I absolutely love reading as I mentioned before um so I think that's probably a fun fact <laughs> that most people don't know is that I I read about a book a week sometimes faster do you have a particular genre that you um I am currently really enjoying rereading Terry Pratchett because Terry Pratchett is my favorite author and probably had quite a big influence on my thinking when I was a teenager because I, I encountered him when I was a teenager um so yeah so I but I read pretty much anything like I, right now I'm reading Terry Pratchett I'm reading a Swallows and Amazons book so like a 1930s adventure story and then I'm reading Leading Technological Change by Andy Hockley and <laughs> there's normally a methodology book on the go as well okay <laughs> <laughs> and do any of them flow fast or the, the fiction flows faster than than the methodology um, ironically since I started my dissertation I've been reading considerably less methodology and a lot more fiction <laughs> should probably be the other way around but just... I do, it depends on it depends on the author like it depends on the book so I mentioned Sarah Mercer before um Sarah Mercer results in Bernier's book um engaging language learners in the contemporary mm. classroom fantastic I read that really quickly it's super yeah. easy to read I reference it all the time in all of my methodology uh sessions or a lot of my methodology sessions and I just recommend that to people all the time I think a good methodology book should be readable um, you know, because you've got to want to pick it up and you've got to want to keep reading, basically. You've got to want to keep referring to it. So, yeah. so if you were a book, Sandy, what would you be? <laughs> I don't like that kind of question. <laughs> <laughs> I really struggle with questions like that. <laughs> um, this, is, this is always, that's probably another fun fact about me is that I'm really bad at imagining alternative me's because I'm always, even when I was a kid, <laughs> Always, I used to hate drama when I was a kid. I always wanted to be the newsreader or the narrator because I was like, I can't do anything <laughs> other than me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably where my absurdly high levels of confidence come from. Yeah, um, if I was a book, I, <laughs> I often get jokingly referred to as Google um, because I oh, have wonderful. <laughs> an absurd memory for names, book titles, you know authors blog posts whatever well wow. so probably i'd be some kind of encyclopedia no i remember we had a, um I, we had someone like that in our staff room and you could literally say look i'm teaching this what would you recommend and she'd just call out a, a book and yeah. um <laughs> she could, could even get it down to like the unit yeah um, exactly it's exactly. it's yeah <laughs> that's wonderful it's sort of so you've got a good catalogue yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I have, I have a very good mental catalogue of those things. I remember when I started my distance delta, one of the tutors, Avria, you asked him a question and he would tell you the book and the page number and the whatever. And mm. I was like, I was like, that's 
that's amazing. How do you do that? And then I realized that I've turned into that person. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Oh, look, thank you so much for joining me this morning. It has been um, wonderful talking to you. Um, just to finish, do you have any, do you have a quote that kind of sums things up for? Yeah, I think probably my favourite quote, quote is carpe diem, because I think that's exactly what we need to do is seize the day. Like you never, you never know how long you're here for. You never mm. know uh, when things are going to change. You never know when you're going to get ill or have an accident or whatever. And so don't, I think what I've learned with time is don't wait, get on with it. Mm. If you want to do something, if you want something to happen, do it because actually the harder, the the hardest thing, or it's it's often more challenging when you're just thinking about it than it is to actually sit down and do it. Yeah. When you start doing something, you realize that it might be easier than you think. You realize it might be less challenging than you think. Or you realise that, okay, it's harder than you think, but you've started and so you'll find help. And so I think, yeah, carpe diem, I think, is the way to go. Thank you, Sandy. Wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jane. <laughs> Thank you for joining me this morning. It's been fascinating. Thank you. And now just to uh, a quick break and I'll be back in just a second. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. And that's about it for me today. Um, I hope you all have um, a lovely week and I'll be back in a fortnight. Thanks for listening and take care. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.